3: Tom Bernard Show with Andy Brad Bernard, JB, Mike Molina,
1: Kostaki Economopolis. Our very special guest, Kostaki Economopoulos, tonight and tomorrow night at Acme 8 and 1030, both nights. We'll be right back. Walzer are pros at body and glass repair, but don't take my word for it. They have an A-plus rating from the Better Business Bureau and a nearly perfect 4.8 Google rating. Check them out at walzercollision.com. You know what amazes me the most about that group, the Bee Gees? What's that? They thought singing in that tone, <laughs> in that note, would be a great idea, and it turned out they were right. Yeah, yeah. it's amazing. Very.
2: That song is like a time machine, man. That mm-hmm. takes me back. Oh, yeah. Oh, was, there's no doubt about
4: that. It was great in the movie, Airplane.
3: Well, oh, God, Airplane. Fantastic. <laughs> it was also in Saturday Night Fever. Yeah, that's Dr. what I was Walter. thinking of. That's where it came yeah. from, yeah. Right. <laughs> but that's but where it, was it came in a, from,
4: yeah. Yeah, but it was used in the movie, Airplane. When they did the bar scene, I
2: got to go back and see the airplane. I don't remember that.
4: Yeah, when they when he went to the bar, and all of a sudden he got on the dance floor when the first time he met her.
1: Oh yeah, that's and, right.
4: In the clothes, he all of a sudden he had the disco suit on and all that stuff.
1: He did indeed. At what first, was that woman's name? Julie. Uh, what was her name? Julie, the actress' name was, like, uh, Julie or Julia? Haggerty. Haggerty. Julie yeah. Haggerty. Yep.
5: There you go. So that was so just the scene of Travolta you know? walking down the street as uh, the painter, whatever right. his name is. Tony Manero or whatever.
3: Yep. Before yep, you absolutely. watch Airplane, watch Zero Hour. What's that? It's a disaster film from 1957. Airplane is almost a shot-for-shot remake of it. Is it's it really? really?
4: Yep. <laughs> but is Zero Hour a comedy?
1: No, <laughs> no. It'd be a very bad title for a comedy. <laughs> yeah, zero hour would not be good. You're absolutely right. So Pat Proft helped write that movie, didn't he? With with the Zucker's. Yes. Uh, what airplane? Yeah, yeah I, I think believe so. 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 Pat Proft from Minnesota. Uh, mm, it's so
2: really,
1: silly. Really, i though. for sure he's one of the writers. Uh, does that movie hold up, up now? No. If you watch it now, is it good? I have not seen it in so many years, I couldn't even tell you.
3: It's not like it feels old, but it's still good. Mm-hmm. All right. I'm, I'm okay yeah. with that.
4: There's, there's the scene where they go get the guy to help them land the plane. And, right. he, and they run over the guy on the bike, and he jumps up and he goes, flips his finger and calls them an a-hole. I had a friend. We would call each other <laughs> and literally say that to each other, telling the other one, that that's what they were watching, that's how we knew what the other one was watching. You would just call. Honest him and, to God. You would call him and just go, asshole. <laughs> oh, that's nice.
1: <laughs> Out outgoing Virginia Governor Terry McAuliffe said Thursday. Now I will tell you a personal story about Terry McAuliffe. He's the outgoing Virginia Governor, and of course he was really tied into the Clintons quite a bit, and. I don't even remember. I I think it was when when Al Franken was running against Norm Coleman for the U.S. Senate. I I think it was all the way back then. But uh, Terry McAuliffe called into the show, and I've never met Terry McAuliffe in person, but he he calls into the show to talk about this, that, or the other thing, right? Mm -hmm. Because I'm trying to get Republicans and Democrats to to take part and, you know, whatever. Uh, It's really weird, Kostaki, you would not know this, but Democrats, because they're so far left in Minnesota— think that I'm, like, really conservative, which I'm not at all. Right, right. I can see that. But they do. They're so far left, they think, oh, my God. So Terry McAuliffe calls in, and I said, ladies and gentlemen, our special guest, Terry McAuliffe, he goes, well, if it isn't the Rush Limbaugh of Minnesota. Oh. (laughs)
0: Like, what?
1: (laughs) Honestly, but that guy's always been a jerk, so I, I mentioned a few things to him about where he could put that. <laughs> and it didn't go all that great, but uh, outgoing Virginia Governor Terry McAuliffe said Thursday that he would punch President Trump if he ever tried to get it in my space. During an interview Thursday on MSNBC's Hardball, host Chris Matthews asked the Virginia, Gov- uh, Virginia Democrat how he would react if Mr. Trump leaned over him during a debate, as he did with Democratic rival Hillary Clinton. Ms. Clinton later uh, stated that the uh, presidential campaign, well, the current president, but he was campaigning for president at the time, uh, was trying to intimidate her Mm. by leaning over her like that. Uh, which I suppose he he probably was, don't you think? Mm -hmm. Yes. (laughs) It appeared that's what he was trying to do. What would you do in a debate if he tried that? Mr. Matthews asked. If he came over and leaned over the back of you, what would you do? You'd have to pick him up off the floor, Mr. McAuliffe replied. (laughs) Okay, the host said laughing. You mean you'd deck him? Listen, this guy got in my space, Mr. McAuliffe responded. You want to get in my space? I've always said, Chris, you punch me. I'm going to punch you back twice as hard, and it wouldn't be hard to do it. How big is Terry McAuliffe? Yeah, really. What a cool guy. Isn't Donald Trump like 6'4", about 260? Yeah, a new,
2: I'm not, I'm a new level a of, uh,
1: of modern presidential debates. <laughs> yes, yeah, for really. real. No, we're
2: well, going to beat each other up. We'll
5: find out uh, later this afternoon he is doing his physical today.
1: Well, oh, That's right. He is. He is oh, doing yeah. his physical today. And I'm not saying that Donald Trump's a tough guy or anything, but he's a pretty big guy. How, how big is Terry McAuliffe? Let's see. Does it say anything? Here. This guy thinks he can intimidate everybody. It's disgraceful. It's embarrassing, he added. But if you ever came over and leaned on me and got in my space, that would be the last time Donald Trump ever did that. I promise you that. <laughs>
3: that information does not appear to exist. You
1: can't find out how big Terry McAuliffe is? No. The governor of Virginia? I guess maybe I could find pictures of him with yeah. people. You sound like an Irish-American politician, Mr. Matthews, said gleefully, adding that Mr. McAuliffe's comments would undoubtedly go viral. Uh, Mr. McAuliffe's term as governor ends on Saturday when he will be succeeded by Democratic Virginia
3: Lieutenant Governor Ralph Northam. Based on this picture, he's about an inch shorter than Obama. Oh, isn't Obama like six feet tall? I have no idea. Ooh,
5: I, I, thought I, I he have no
4: a, idea how big I thought he was taller than six. I thought he was like six one. Oh, you nine. did? Down about Obama. I don't
1: know, maybe six one. So basically, Terry McAuliffe is about six feet tall.
3: He's about three inches taller than Hillary Oh, that's
1: not good. So he's a tough guy, though.
3: Now we got to go to the comment section on a story like
1: that because a story like that, the comments are always fantastic. Garrett Nixon says, hitting him with your purse doesn't count, Terry. Ah. (laughs) God. Got him. (laughs) Just like Bobby De Niro ranting about punching people, including Trump, Bobby, as his friends call him, all of
3: 5'8 of him, I
1: don't think that he's even 5'8, to tell you the truth. He's even shorter
3: than Obama, and Obama's listed height is 6'1".
1: It is listed, so So. that means he's about 6 feet tall. Uh, thinks he really is a mob guy Terry and Bobby would go down hard and fast against someone who's not 71 years old like the Donald uh, and then Trixie Rosie Lee said or Ro- Trixie Rose Lee said he is a communist oh then I can't say what else she says <laughs> <laughs> I cannot repeat what else she says in her comment <laughs> uh, God I uh, boy people get really really personal in comments now don't they <laughs> <laughs>
4: did she call him, I mean, uh, they
1: really Yes, they do.
4: Did she call him an uh, s-hole, governor?
1: No, no, I, no. She, no, she did not. She, uh, she refer, referred to his father's orientation, which I don't know what that means. Mm-hmm. No, unless I maybe I just don't know. But is is Terry McAuliffe's father gay? Is I don't it, think any of us know anything about Terry McAuliffe. I guess not. I, I, I don't know. I. It's a funny question to
2: have to ask. Is your father (laughs) gay?
1: (laughs) Yes, your father gay is kind of a... Yeah, you're right. That is an interesting question. Somewhere
2: along the line, not so gay. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe maybe lately.
1: I guess so. Oh, my God. These people are now, as you scroll down, of course, these people all start going after each other Mm -hmm. instead of the subject of the story. Yes. Which I find very, Uh, very entertaining. (laughs) Uh, Ah, the Internet. Uh, It's true. I
2: forget sometimes because in social media, I'm shielded from... most of the nastiness because they're self-selected people who like me, right? If you're following mm-hmm. me on Twitter or me on Instagram or me on Facebook, you like me, right? So the comments are generally pretty good. And then there'll be a post of something from me on something else that's not me, and oh my goodness, people are brutal sometimes. <laughs> I forget a friend oh, of mine. It's there. A friend of mine did Conan, and then of course they post the YouTube clip of you on Conan. And the comments on YouTube clips are, oh, my God, it just hurts your feelings (laughs) so much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, what's an example? (laughs) Oh, just like, uh, you know, whatever. Uh, The stump in my backyard is funnier than this guy. Whatever. Just people are just brutish and harsh about whatever. You know, they just have anonymity and they don't feel like there's a human at the other end of it.
1: You know what is kind of funny about these guys, though, this Terry McAuliffe and Bob De Niro and all these people, Bobby De Niro. I know you played tough guy, gangsters, but you're a finger puppet. Calm down. finger puppet. Relax. Well, it's true. Now, how tall
2: are you, Kostaki? Uh, I'm six-something, six and a quarter, six and a half, something like that. You're taller than that, aren't you? Plus Greek hair. No, my personality just
1: fills the room. Oh, that's true. That's what it is. Your personality just fills. You know, now I understand completely. It's just you have that phenomenal personality just fills the room and makes you seem like you're 15 feet tall. The Greek charm. That's all it is. Is it the Greek charm? That's, That's what we're talking about? See, I, when I first met you, we talked about the fact that I have a lot of Greek friends. Right. And I suppose in Minnesota, that there aren't that many Greeks, so I probably know all of them. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> this, is,
2: this is the state that's maybe the least like Greece of all the 50, right? It's...
1: I would have to believe that's probably true.
2: Now, uh, do you spend any
1: time in Greece? Yeah, I love Greece. We go about every other year, briefly.
2: It's kind of a tr- oh, family do? tradition. Yeah, we go for about about two weeks every two years. is kind of our default sort of plan. So we went last now, year. When you said I love it.
1: You said family. You talk about your family or your birth family.
2: It's the whole gang. It's um, my mom, oh, my really? brother, his kids, my wife and kid, and, and you know sometimes some friends of my mom or you know cousins of ours, and then we meet all the Greeks and. We've got cousins and aunts and uncles there. It's great. I love it. It's uh, it's one of my favorite places. I I used to say I, I wish it were closer, but of course if it were closer, we would have ruined it by now. <laughs> so you gotta, yeah, well there is a... You got to you got to earn the flight, but uh, it's just it's a perfect vacation land because the folks are gregarious and the food is great and it's sunny all the oh, time in the summer and I love hot and beach and you know staying up late and running around drinking and. Talking about life. Having a life. Yeah, it's very Greek,
1: you know. So, having a life. Well, it is very, very Greek. But I, I, I always, I don't know, I always had a great time hanging out with my buddies. There's no doubt about oh, that. Oh, the Greeks. Uh, yeah, they're good. They're good
2: folks. Yeah. and like I said earlier, when I was in England, I ran into that sort of negative vibe about Greeks for the first time. I've been lucky for whatever reason in America. People love Greeks, and as soon as you say your your name, people, every everyone has a oh, I went to school with a Chris Mitsotakis. So, you know, everyone has a gregarious Greek in their lives that they love somewhere. So. I just had a lucky ethnicity in terms of my general day-to-day existence. <laughs> except you're in London. Except, except when you're looking for a job, <laughs> a no skill job in England, in the in the late
1: 80s. <laughs> except that Honestly, God, I, I wonder where that came from because it doesn't make any sense to me. It's the same problem that we would have here with Mexicans
2: or whatever. The, the Greeks were perceived to be like. Flooding the borders for
1: low skill
2: oh, jobs—it's that kind of a vibe that they had at the time,
1: you know. But why did they leave Greece for England? I, because just the, the economy tends to shoot up and down in, in Greece—that is true.
2: Yeah, I mean, the, the so Greek is economic issue. Yeah, I
1: think. I think. One of the one of the big Greek problems over the
2: last hundred years or so is brain drain. You know, a lot of people who are motivated and yeah. interested in more than just running a, ta- a, taver- a taverna are they go somewhere else to do that because the economy is cranking in other places and never really has in Greece. Greece is such a simple place, you know. So, so people like my dad left the country, well, came came to find some better opportunities in America. So. So,
1: yeah, so your dad moved to America at what age?
2: My dad had a gra- had an undergrad degree and got a Fulbright scholarship for graduate school and went to FSU in Tallahassee. And uh, what happened
0: to you? Yeah, right.
2: <laughs> I know. My dad got a PhD in a second language, and I don't. You know, I I've been speaking English for 50 years. I don't know how to use the word whom. I got. I don't, I'm clueless. Um, yeah. So my dad came for school, and at the time. He married my mom. They were planning to move back to Greece together. My mom sort of signed up for that dramatic life change, and my dad got a good job at uh, teaching in the University of Georgia system, and they just
1: decided to stay. So, so is your mother Greek too?
2: No, my mom's a Florida girl, sort of roots in like you know daughters of the American Revolution back in New England kind of roots. So I'm exactly half and half. my dad was 100% Greek, my mom was 100% American as
1: much as that's a thing. <laughs> as much as that's a thing. So yeah. did her family think that she she mixed that she married outside her race? <laughs>
2: <laughs> you know what? My dad, this is this tells you, it's not that long ago. Oh, my yeah. dad had to swear that uh, he was white in order to get the marriage
1: certificate. See? How about there that? you go. Yeah. Tallahassee, Florida you. in the 60s. <laughs> That's a great story <laughs> We'll be back, part two of the third hour Tom Bernard Show
3: I'm Brad Huckle, president of North American Banking Company
1: Hi, this is Tom. If you spend any time at the lake, you can relate to hanging out on the dock with family and friends. Let Flow enhance your experience with their rock solid dock systems. You see, Flow's passion to invent a better way to make life easier comes through in every product they make. Flow boat lifts are a breeze to level using a cordless drill with their patented easy level system. Flow is about making things easy, meaning you have more time to enjoy being at the lake. Isn't that why you go there in the first place? See for yourself why they say they've been perfecting leisure time since 1983. Visit Flow at the Minneapolis Boat Show at the Convention Center January 11th through the 14th. Say you heard this ad on KQ and receive $50 off your purchase. Stop by Friday night between 6 and 7 to meet professional hockey star Ryan Suter, a proud owner and spokesperson for Flow Dock and Lift Systems. Or visit their website at com. Flow Docks and Lifts, a better way. Funny choice, man. What's the name of this song? The, the heart
2: attack dance. Heart attack song. The heart, the
1: I think heart that, attack song, I think
2: that's it, because it goes. the pacing goes up and up and up and up and up.
1: It does. You're absolutely right. Is you know, there more than one Greek
2: song? I think this is the only one there is.
1: This is the only one? Is it? <laughs> What I, what I found interesting about your, your comments about your your father and your mother and she being 100% American, your father being Greek and all the rest of it, one of the things that I laugh about, because I grew up in a very mixed neighborhood, uh, a lot of Catholics, therefore Irish and Italian people, um, and then the next uh, neighborhood over was black, and the next neighborhood over from that was Jewish, so I grew up around a lot of different cultures. That's great. And what makes me laugh, What it, it was, it was a great way to grow up, it was a wonderful way to grow up. But what makes me laugh about this whole argument now is all of a sudden the United States is like the center of what it means to uh, immigration, the whole world. Um, For some reason, America thinks that we're the worst place on earth uh, to to treat immigrants poorly. Uh, Japan, unless you're Japanese, you aren't getting in. Swiss, Switzerland, unless you're Swiss, you're not getting in. I'm sorry, unless you can prove you got a lot of money, right? And you just talked about that in the 1980s going to, to London as a Greek and being treated not the best. Right, 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 right. So it's always been that way. The first time I went to Scotland, I was, I was much bigger then, and everybody wanted to wrestle me. <laughs> like, oh, look at this big American guy. You want to wrestle? I'm like, what? <laughs> but they they kind of look down on you a bit. Uh, I, look, I love Scotland, Ireland. I've been to uh, England, Ireland, Scotland. I love them. I thought they were wonderful. But you're not treated the same. I'm sorry. You're just not. Yeah. I, but where do
2: yeah I was just going to say, like, like in my travels, I've I've often run into... Very brazen comments about different cultures in a way that, at least in the States, we're ashamed of saying those things.
3: <laughs> right. You know, well, no, yeah. that's, that's my exact point.
2: You know what I mean? At least you say them quietly here. Where
3: people... yeah, no one really – the only people who really think that the United States is, that treats immigrants poorly is people who have either never gone anywhere or people who are it's like – they're so young that they'll believe anything they hear. But it is, I, to me, I think the, the reason, the explanation
2: for our trepidation about that and our sort of guilt about it is that it is a country of immigrants. And so it feels like right. a bunch of kids are playing you know, football in the, in the street and then another kid comes up and, and all the kids go, game's locked. You know, It's like, hey, you, right? You just you're here playing a game. Why would you say no to the next kid who wants to come? It, there is there's at least an American ethic where we have guilt about that and trying to figure out how to balance the the flow mm-hmm. of immigration. So it's a good debate. I mean, it's a tough one. It's a tough one to figure out where where to land, in my opinion. But
1: I think it's a see. That's what I think is wonderful about it is that America. I don't know. For some reason, we right now love to hate ourselves as Americans. We're Americans, and we like to, oh, my God, we're just, we're flawed in some ways. Again, do some reading about the rest of the world or or get out and travel or do something because America is by far not the worst country in the world. I'm sorry. (laughs) God, no, not even close. The
3: treatment of people, we treat people actually very well here. Uh, yeah, go as, to India, see what they feel about their you know their poor people. China, India.
1: Yeah. I mean, you you go to those two places. I uh, I tell you another thing: you go to Brazil, and you're not Brazilian. They have they want nothing to do with you. <laughs> I mean, that's a fact. Yeah, uh, and it still goes all over the world. I, I pointed out Japan already, Andy. You know more a lot more about Japan than I do. But unless you're Japanese, you're
3: not going to move into Japan. They just don't like anybody who stands out, even if they're Japanese. Right. Someone who's unusual in some way, they want to, well, they have a saying that the if a nail sticks up, you pound it down. Right. And <laughs> if you're not Japanese, then you're just naturally going to look out of place, and that's they don't like that. It's just very confusing to me. Why America now is looked upon, and now, in a way,
1: Europe is looking at America like, oh, well, they're kind of uh, racist and anti-immigrant. Oh yeah, because you were all engaging and welcoming everybody, and you frauds.
3: <laughs> Again,
1: I loved going to Europe. Yeah, Europe, the time. whitest
3: place. Yeah, look at all those yeah. uh, black people in Europe. Tons of them. Right? I mean, they're getting uh, they're getting more, but there's for a long time it was like you know. You uh, you go over to America. We'll, we'll, be kind, we'll be fine without you. Yeah. It was kind of like
1: Honkyville for a long time. It was. It's very, very true. But as you go around, people, I, I don't know. I just don't know how we got where we are in America right now, where we all hate one another. If you're left, you hate the right. If you're right, you hate the left. And the rest of us are trapped in the center of it and have to watch the news every day. I, I, I really consider myself to be quite the centrist uh, and... and to watch these people just hate one another amazes me, and then I realize, well, I shouldn't feel so bad for them hating one another because they both hate me because I'm right in the center. <laughs> they really don't like that. You know, so I, where did this all come from?
2: I don't know. It's, uh, it seems like the stakes are high. Maybe that's part of the answer. It seems like you're fighting over, you know, the very essence of what it is to be american and in the culture and i think that's part of it i i've gotten a little jaded i mean i studied politics and it was a real passion of mine and and lately i don't i mean i just don't i'm not as engaged
1: as i once was you know well well let me hear about that now so you studied politics in college yeah or and grad get, it was as a hobby kind of. no oh, I, grad school yeah my my
2: graduate degree is in uh american government i was going to I studied election cycles and different things. I was going to teach uh, American government at the college level. That was my that was my career path at the time. Um, really? Yeah. I worked on uh, I worked on the Dukakis campaign way back in the day. You're welcome, America. I did too. <laughs> no, I did too. I did it. I did his, his commercials for him. Oh, really? So oh, I was, didn't know that. Yeah, that was me. You I know. mean. Dukakis was, like, my dad's wet dream candidate, a professorial Greek-American, you know? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Uh, So... I just found it fascinating. What made people vote and what made people laugh were my two, like, big passions at the time. I just found it so interesting. And I ended up writing my master's thesis about the influence of political satire on our feelings about government, because those were my two loves at the time. I was fascinated by comedy and, uh, and voting patterns and... Uh, and so I hung in there and I got my degree and I saved my books and I went on the road and I still have my books in case this comedy thing doesn't pan out.
1: <laughs> no, uh, well, absolutely. You've only been at it for a couple of years now, so, you know.
2: <laughs> so, uh, my mom bitches at me cause all those books are still at her house.
1: <laughs> Hi, so I have a question for you. What, what, from what you learned and what you see now, what, what was your opinion of politics by the time you got out of grad school? Well, I loved it. I mean, I, to me, it was, it, was the, it was the big game that you're playing
2: over the things that matter in life, right? It has a gamesmanship mm-hmm, right. sort of aspect about it. There's a horse race kind of reporting. But you really are oh, yeah. fighting over whether or not, you know, you're allowed to pollute in this way or that gays get these rights or not. or, you know. mm-hmm. So I had a real passion for it. I found it to be, uh, to be a beautiful game. But, you know, over time, you get a little jaded, you get a little frustrated about the process. And I just, and in the last couple of years, it seems to be the only thing anybody's talking about. And I'm bored of it. Oh, yeah. You know, it's like, in the old days, I did a lot of political stuff in my act. And now, I do exactly none. Because I think everyone else is doing it. And it's, you know, I'd Mm, rather be the nail that sticks up. Yeah, for me, I'd rather be the other thing. When it was contrarian, I I enjoyed doing political jokes, but now it's like, um, I don't even say the word Trump in my hour of comedy anymore, so I just do, I'm more interested in talking about me, I mean, that's the real drive, you know, it's what's happening in my Mm -hmm. head, and I had this conversation with my Mm -hmm. wife, and my kid said this, and my act has gotten a lot more personal on purpose, because it used to be more observational, and now it's more what's happening for me, you know? Those those yeah, stories are stickier, you know. They they um, even when they're not killing, they're still interesting to listen to because they're true, you know. So I've tried to do that kind of comedy more.
1: So I do think I'm hoping this is at least I'm hoping this that uh, first of all, Jude did stop barking. Rough, <laughs> rough. He's he's all whipped up
5: and about this, something. Uh, JB Jude would in wake studios.
1: up. Was so, uh, JB asleep?
4: Uh, he was. I was. JB <laughs> JB always <laughs> falls asleep. <laughs> No, you wanna what know is what, with you and Philip? You, you want to know what <laughs> happened to me this time?
5: What? <laughs>
4: I woke up at 2 o'clock in the morning and could not go back to sleep. Oh, that happened
1: to me two nights ago. I hate that. Yeah. I hate that, too.
4: I just laid there oh. laid there. I tried looking on my cell phone, tried turn, mm-hmm. t- uh, turning on Netflix or something, and I just could not go back to sleep.
1: Yeah, it does happen. It absolutely happens. Well, you could have watched the David Letterman show on Netflix. That would have put you to sleep. (laughs) Don't you think? Did you ever appear on Letterman,
2: Kostaki? I never did. And I I used to play poker with the booker. I was like, what do I got to do,
1: Eddie? (laughs) (laughs) That's weird. So why didn't he book you on Letterman? Uh,
2: We were in the conversation about it, and then Eddie got involved with that weird sort of semi-scandal and was no longer booking the show. Do you remember wow, that: Oh the, with the, the woman that was going to that was
1: what, it, trying to sue?:
2: Yeah, there something? became like this weird sort of story arc that Eddie was sexist, which is ridiculous. I mean, some of his favorite comics were females, and uh, you know, Eddie and I butted heads over some other stuff, but he's not a sexist. It just became like a story that CBS didn't want to deal with, so mm-hmm. they Oh really. Yeah, so they let him continue to do the warm-up, but he wasn't booking the comics anymore. Um, that's weird. Yeah, so I ended up not. I ended up not doing Letterman, but uh, but that's a good show. I, I always I always thought that was a good show, and they were good to comics. Sort of late in the process, they kind of went through a few phases of not really booking a lot of comics. Right, and of course, you know the nature of the process is there's only like thirty stand up spots a year, and about twenty of those are taken by. Jerry Seinfeld and Roseanne and, like, the giant names in the industry, right? So there were only a handful of spots per year that were kind of up for guys like me. Um, Oh, okay. Yeah, so it's just the nature of the process. There just weren't a lot of spots there. Um, But they booked a couple of my good buddies and helped their careers, and, you know, they'll always have that feather in their cap. It was was a good show. Like Keith Um, uh, Mm Alberstadt. Andy Hendrickson. Uh, Carmen Lynch, and a bunch of my buddies did that show. Lenny Marcus, a bunch of the New York dudes that I knew. Moody McCarthy, um,
1: some really funny dudes. I like Carmen Lynch, by the way.
2: Yeah, she's great.
1: Yeah, no, no doubt about it. I I just wondered about that because the people that I that I know that were on that show said he what?
5: No, no, no. I was just thinking back to last doing, March. Melina? No, no, no. We had Carmen in last month or last March, and it was uh. St. Patty's right. Day, yeah. and her dad is Irish, and I remember uh, she was talking about her dad being passive-aggressive, and she got a little mad at me, because I was like, there's such thing as a passive-aggressive Mick? Oh,
1: and... well, yeah, she didn't like that.
5: Yeah, and then I, I didn't help myself, because no, she's she also guest, uh, part Spanish, and I was like, man, when are those Catalonians going to get their crap together, and she's Catalonian? Oh,
1: my God. <laughs> Yeah. Nice. Yeah, was yeah, like, oh. You were a favorite. Yeah. You should have just kept your mouth shut yeah. and picked her up by accident.
5: <laughs> yeah, pick her up by
1: accident. Come up behind her and pick yeah. her up. That's a good. That's a very good point. Uh, Why didn't you just pick her up? Uh, I like that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but anyway, what I was saying was that uh, I, I know some people that were on the Letterman show, and he's like, apparently really unfriendly
2: when
0: yeah, you're in
1: commercial. that was always the buzz about he just, Letterman. He's never...
2: I You know, who knows? These are all f- fifth-hand stories, but I heard a lot well, of Well, that's true. But, he, but yeah, the, the buzz about Letterman was that he was... You know, he's one of those tortured souls. He never... He doesn't run around like a happy, jolly guy. He does his no. work and keeps his head down and is worried about stuff. And, you know, I... If in terms of taste, I always loved Letterman more than Leno, but Leno is definitely one of those smiley, gregarious,
1: blue-collar dudes who seems to enjoy the whole process, you know? <laughs>
4: so Well, he says
1: he's really happy that he's not on late-night television now. He said he just couldn't stand doing Trump after Trump after Trump after Trump thing like they do on all the late-night right. talk shows. Right, right. And some um, of the vapid celebrity guests, you know, he got tired of that kind of stuff, you
2: know. I, yeah. I would totally yeah. understand that. <laughs> on the other hand, yeah, I, I mean, he's he's got the perfect life. He has a show about his crazy cars, mm-hmm. and then he goes, yep. get, jumps in the private jet, and go does a gig for $75,000 for a corporation, comes home. And now, know? do you
5: believe he is still, to this day, not spent a dollar he made on The Tonight That's Show? That's what he claims. man.
2: That's what he claims. He's a workaholic. Well, he only made
1: $35 million a year.
2: I mean, all those years that he was doing that show, he would literally he would stay up late at night working on the monologue with the writers. He would go to, he'd come in late morning. You rehearse the show. You tape the show live at like 5 o'clock for an hour. And he would run out of the studio, get in a jet, go to Vegas, do a show, come back, meet with the writers. It was insane. It's like... How much do you hate your wife, Jay? Yeah.
1: <laughs> get it. Oh, God. Get a little bit of a normal slice of life in there somewhere. Uh, there is that. I'll tell you a story about, uh, about what Jay Leno said to me one time, right up to this Tom Bernard show. Oh. Just like all of you, I had been hearing about My Pillow and was skeptical that it was as great as everyone said it was. Well, I received my first My Pillow and I love it. Look, my, my head stays level. You know, it's not too high, not too low. My neck feels much better because of it. Mike Lindell, the inventor of MyPillow, has a very special offer for Tom Bernard Show listeners. MyPillow is offering a buy one MyPillow, get another one absolutely free. Don't delay, this offer will end on January 31st. If you're looking for a great night's sleep, now is the perfect time to get your first MyPillow. If you already know how great the MyPillow is, why not give them to everyone you know? Go to MyPillow.com, but make sure you use the promo code Tom. Again, please use promo code Tom. That's promo code Tom. MyPillow.com. Tom Bernard here. Minneapolis is gearing up for the biggest football event of the year. And you've probably heard the myth that you should wait until after the big game to sell your home. What? If you're thinking about selling, now is the time. Why? Because buyers are hungry and most sellers aren't even in the game. But the real key is fielding the right team. And that's my buddy Chris Lindahl's team with Remax Results. Remax is America's number one real estate franchise. And the Chris Lindahl team is America's number one Remax results team. Why? Because they've got the right game plan and the best players at the skill positions. They know how to market your home. They know how to use social media. And they know how to win. On average, the Chris Lindahl team sells a home every nine hours for over the MLS average. Don't wait until after the big game to get a big win on selling your home. Call the Chris Lindahl team at 763-401-SOLD and the first two callers will get a free staging package. This is a huge value. And it's only going to the first two KQRS callers from this ad. That's 763-401-SOLD. Get a free staging package and win big on selling your home before the big game. If you haven't already, make sure to check out the best of the Tom Bernard Show brought to you by Brad, and Bryant. Or as he's known, the backup to my hard drive. Every Saturday at noon for highlights from the past week and classic moments from our vault. I got so lucky. <laughs> <laughs> did, I mean, he just stood there and talked. That's all he ever
4: did. <laughs>
2: uh, that's a catchy a, song. Come on.
4: on, what do you want? In it a
2: song?
1: is. No, it is great.
4: No, good it, Georgia it band.
2: Good that's up. right. I was thinking that's from. They're from Athens. Mm, yep.
4: The first time barely. I ever saw them was on CBS, that Sunday morning show. Um, and they were on there.
1: It's called Sunday morning.
2: Yeah.
4: Yeah. That's why I said that yeah. Sunday morning show.
2: When you said that guy was so lucky, I thought you were talking about Brock Osweiler, the Brock Lobster. <laughs> 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 the Brock, lo- he did the Brock Lobster. A, uh. He did sign a big contract. He, yep. was, he was very lucky about that. Mm-hmm. Four
5: years, $72 million.
2: That's a pretty good contract.
5: Oh, God. Oh, God. I, <laughs> I'm giving up. Case yep.
2: Keenum's is so about talk- to get
4: one of those, by oh, the
5: way.
2: Yeah. Oh, he is, Yeah. He turned it. And we'll see.
5: We'll I'll see. bet you him and Prefer, uh, the they're headed to the desert. I bet you they're going to be in the Cardinals uniforms next year.
2: Who's going to be, the, who's going to be the quarterback of this purple team
5: next year? I, that is a good question.
2: That They have the most interesting quandary I've ever seen. You've got, you got two. Well, you don't know what you have. That's the problem.
4: If, no. <laughs> if that team in purple wins the Super Bowl, then um, it'll be Case Keenum. Really? Yeah. It's just outcome.
2: Oh yeah. Oh, whether yeah. whether it works. If yep. it works, you bring him back and give him a hundred million dollars. Mm-hmm. And if it doesn't work, you send him away and go back to these two guys with lots well, of promise and no,
4: screwy it, knees. If it <laughs> if it doesn't work, then you just go back. There's no way they're him back Bradford because uh, he's the best no, one. No, no he, you're right. He, he hates Bradford. <laughs> he, he does. He always eat. he he the owner? No, the coach. Zimmer. He absolutely hates Bradford.
2: Because of the injury I didn't problems? know that. Because he's a yeah, cocky because, pain in
4: the ass? Because he's a, he's tissue paper. <laughs>
2: <laughs> he's had a bad run with the injuries, no right. question. But he looks so good in the
5: first game. You're like, if we could just have that guy, <laughs> right? Yeah. But then that Monday night game in Chicago, you're like, what is he still doing in there? I know.
2: Somebody said it was like that, uh, what was that movie with the dead guy that they carried around everywhere? <laughs> oh,
4: oh, Weekend of yeah. Bernie. Weekend yeah. with Bernie. It was oh. like Weekend of Bernie. You, you, you know the name of that movie, but you couldn't help me out when we were off the air. Oh, <laughs> my bad. What, what, kid, Tom, what's the name of the movies? There was three of them. And they, the guy. the Godfather? No, the guy.
5: <laughs> <laughs>
4: the guy was getting married.
5: Oh. <laughs>
4: And all of a sudden, he disappeared, and the other guys were trying to... Oh, the hangover. Hang. Thank you. Oh, the hangover. Okay. Well, I was trying to tell him about Dr. Kent, the show Dr. Kent. He had uh, cocky... uh, Cocky. (laughs) I'll I'll answer
2: to that. Cocky. (laughs) Cocky Economopolis. (laughs) No
1: question, you know, cocky. I don't know if that's gonna stick. Uh, yeah, probably not. You're not well, a very cocky I'm guy. I'm the opposite of that.
2: <laughs> yes, you are. It's a shame there's no words that rhyme with timid that uh, go well, with he my got name. A,
4: yes, he got a new nickname out of the show. So <laughs> well, I was trying to tell yeah, cocky, yeah. cocky, cocky. <laughs> I was trying to tell him about the Dr. Ken show and how fast it mm-hmm. faded off the air.
1: It did, yeah. Uh, it, it hit just, the wall. Yeah, he, I like him, too. Ken Jeong's a really good guy. Right.
4: He played a doctor a really on guy. TV. It was a comedy sitcom, mm-hmm. and it lasted like that. What yeah, happened? Well, it was on
1: for a couple of years. It lasted a couple of years. Did it?
4: It didn't seem like yeah, it. Yeah, it was on
1: for a couple of years. It always, no, I know
4: what you're saying. Because it just seems like it was being preempted by sharks.
1: <laughs> well, that'll happen. You know, that'll happen. Oh, very quickly before we move on, the, the Jay Leno thing. Oh, yeah, now. I want to hear the story. Uh, it's a very quick story. It doesn't take long at all. But uh, I had brought up to him what you were saying, that, that he would just do this, that, and the other thing, and he'd go hop on a private <laughs> jet, and he'd fly to a corporate event and make $75,000 and come back home, whatever. Uh, so I said, yeah, I, I heard those stories that, you know, whenever you get a little time off, you hop on your jet, and, you head over, and he goes, I make all this money. He goes, well, all that story is true except for one part. I don't own a jet. So he always uses someone else's jet to go somewhere. Oh, wow. So in other words, yeah, these corporations send a jet to pick him up. He doesn't even have to pay for the jet. right?
5: Now, Tom, I thought you were going to tell the story about when you and Catherine went to go see him.
1: Oh, God, that was quite the story. (laughs) It was at the comedy store Uh, in Los Angeles, and Catherine was, uh, oh, let's see. She at the time must have been 22. Oh, wow. Like that. Cause I, was, uh, I was, she was I was thirty, she I was thirty or thirty one. She was twenty two or twenty three. Cradle Robert. And we're in the audience. <laughs> yeah, cradle. Well, yeah, like I'd let my daughter d- d- date a guy who was twenty nine years old and she was twenty one. Never happened. <laughs> Never happened. I'm a total hypocrite when it comes to that. But anyway, we're sitting in the audience, and there's a there's a comedian on stage. Uh, he's a black comedian, and he's just beating the hell out of white women, how horrible white women are, and he hates white women, and he hated dating white women, and blah, 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 blah. All of a sudden, Catherine, who's had a couple of cocktails, Mm -hmm. and she's only 21 years old, 22 years old, she hollers out shut the F up. (laughs) Right in the middle of the act, right? This is at the comedy store in, in Los Angeles. So... All of a sudden, I look up, and I got four bouncers surrounding me. I'm like, what did I do? I didn't do anything. And so everything settles down. They said, you can stay or whatever and don't worry about it, but just don't cause any more problems. So, again, this is about 1981. I yeah. think it was 81. Maybe 80. No, no, you know what? It was 82 because it was the week that, uh, that uh, Thriller came out so what was that like October that's, October, 1982 that's weird how you keep chronology straight in your head with Michael that's Jackson it, albums <laughs> <laughs> yes Michael Jackson album. you know I was there when bad came out and, but anyway uh, so we're in the audience so it's you know long long time ago the next comedian out on stage is Jay Leno and he comes walking on stage he goes before I get started I just want to talk to the uh, nice young lady where are you from Catherine goes, Minnesota? And he goes, oh, a frozen bitch. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> nice. Did she yell
4: something at that point?
1: <laughs> no, she laughed because he didn't, you know, you know Leno has that great delivery where you know he's not serious. Right, right, right. So, you know, he, he can call you a bitch and he's you don't get offended by it. You just right, didn't.
5: right. No. Well, it's God, a good thing that
2: that d- same weekend, by the way. It's a good thing that nickname didn't that? stick. That's a tough nickname to go through life with.
1: <laughs> no, I, I I actually still do call her
4: that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Sure, you uh, say that because she's not here. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah she, she's not in the room, so, you know, that's, that's the big yeah. difference there. <laughs> but that also, I believe it was that weekend. It might have been, I don't know, it might have been at a, a, a different time. But um, I'm back at the comedy store. And this guy walks out wearing a trench coat and a beret and starts screaming at the audience. I'm like, oh, my God, what is this? It was Sam Kinison. Sam Kinison. I'll never forget that.
2: He's the first comic I ever saw live. When I was 17. Really? I went went to see him on Valentine's Day with my girlfriend at the time. (laughs) We double dated with a couple of friends. Uh, It was four days after Liberace died. And he's acting out being, you know, sodomized on a piano. <laughs> 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 it was a different era. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it was a different it era. It was, was a it? different era. That guy was a Oh god.
1: That guy was a force to be reckoned with. Man, he was good at he what was. he did. Yeah. Well, all those people down there at that time, uh, God, who was all down there? It was it was amazing. Yeah, that was the very beginning of the boom. 81,
2: 82, 83 was, was. when uh, yep. every city in America got a comedy club, including the Atlanta Punchline opened right in that window and was open the whole way through.
1: That's cool. What do you think caused that? What caused that in 81, the the the, the huge? I mean, because there were comedians on the Ed Sullivan Show and all the rest of it, but you're right, also in 81, 82, all of a sudden, there's this explosion of comedy. Why do you think that is? I looked at this a little bit. It's a. I think it's a perfect storm of some of it
2: is sociology. So the baby boomers were had money it mm-hmm. was the Reagan era mm-hmm. and they didn't have kids yet yeah. and they were going out they they needed a thing to do and so part of it is just a demographic story of having money and being partying and doing coke and drinking yep. and being out and running around oh, i was just right, going to say right. coke had
4: something to do and with it and they mm.
2: also it became a trendy thing so it was it was the demographic bubble of the boomers being in the perfect spot Plus the trend of it being a hot thing. You know, you put up a sign that said stand-up comedy, and the place was packed.
4: Well, you also yeah, I think you also had your explosion of superstar comics. There were some
2: big stars, right? Right. Eddie Murphy was the one for me at that age. You know, that was the era that I started paying attention to comedy.
4: Steve Martin. You had Eddie. You had right Robin Williams. You had all this run. Richard Pryor and George Carlin and.
2: Mm Robert Klein was kind of the new era comic that was doing observational stuff and yeah, I I, I miss those days. I got in just as the boom ended. <laughs> My timing. Oh no, well, good timing. <laughs> no, th- seriously, well, this is not I exaggeration. Think... <sighs> My first year of stand-up comedy as a serious thing. There were six full-time clubs in the Atlanta area, and it, and it was also the first year the Braves had been good in like twenty years. And at the end of that year, there were two clubs left, and that trend was happening all over America. As I was like, I think I want to do this for a living. <laughs>
1: Way to go, cocky!
3: I think um, (laughs) (laughs) a big, another part of it, which we're going to see uh, in not too long, was the death of the hippie movement and everyone constantly trying to, like you know, peace and love and Mm -hmm. don't make anyone ever feel bad, don't offend anyone, that kind of thing. It's like you know, they they encouraged soft spokenness and uh, skirting issues, that kind of thing. Comedy was the exact opposite of that. And I think that by 1980 was pretty much like the hippie movement was over by then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yep. and people were so sick of it that they went with the opposite, and that's why now we're seeing that again. Is uh, that era was the era of saying speaking your mind, and now we're in the era of the opposite. And then in probably another ten years or so, we're going to see another uh, comedy boom of ultra like um, raunchy comics that are saying things that. Right now, we would all consider uh, unthinkable. Bobby Slayton's going to have another little peak. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Oh, poor Bobby. Uh, there's a reason that comics, the, all of those comics in the '80s, the ones that got big, were all very young, and that's because young people like young people. Yeah, that's true. Sure. That so is. Sure. I mean, like, think of how many, how many of those comics, like those huge stars that you're talking about in 1981, were older than like what 30? Not a whole lot. No. Mm, no, they were not. So no, you, it's absolutely true. So
4: you're saying there's going to be another Andrew Dice Clay in 10 years from now? <laughs> I,
3: uh, the, I would say the current, um, <laughs> like, the uh, equivalent of, you know, like, in 10 years, the their equivalent of, you know, Robin Williams and John Belushi and such are uh, about 10 years old right now. Hmm. That's interesting. Um, so, hey, yeah, if you're listening right. and you become a... Uh, a famous Robin Williams-esque character, then uh, I... Uh, give me your money. I'm loving my,
2: <laughs> your, my I'm loving my Andy theories this week. That's awesome. Uh, well, got in. I, I thought of uh, Kennison this week, actually, because he said something on that first album that I heard when I was 17 that I still sometimes think about, and it's a way better model than uh, Louis C.K.'s model. He
1: said... Yeah.
2: He, I don't know if I could say this on the air. He said... Uh, I'll, I'll substitute some words. He said, "Make a girl climax before she even sees your penis, right? Twice." <laughs>
1: <laughs> and, that's I an mean, interesting. Approach. Even as
2: a kid who had never had sex, I thought that's a much that's a that's a good mm-hmm. model. That's good yeah. branding. You want them to come back for more. That's a pretty good way to go about it, as opposed to the Louis model <laughs> <laughs>
1: mm, <laughs> whipping it out yeah. while they still have
2: their coats on. <laughs>
1: I still, I st- <laughs> still to this day, I don't understand what he was thinking. I don't. I, but apparently, it's uh, inconceivable.
4: I have, uh, <laughs> s- I have <laughs> Sirius is. Radio, and uh, mm-hmm. and I listen to the, the comedy channels on there, and he comes on. Mm-hmm. Boy, there's some, he's got some issues. <laughs> he
3: says oh, some yeah. of the most messed up things. Yeah, he does. And it's like, how do people? I mean, you know, there's <laughs> there's a gross out comedy. And then there's like, how do people hear these things and not think this guy needs to get a psychiatrist quick? Yeah, because he,
4: he was talking about his daughters, and then it <laughs> yeah, then it yep. went into uh, masturbation and all this. It's like, dude, yeah, you were talking about, yeah, you are talking about your daughter.
3: <laughs> yeah, he talked about, like, his baby daughter's vagina, and it's oh, like, right. what is wrong with, uh... what's wrong with you, man? Never cared for him. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Kostaki, I did, not I never liked him. He was, he was an
1: arrogant little
3: prick. I, for I one, him. don't like that topic.
1: No, I'm serious. When I met him, he was an arrogant little jerk, and I'll never forget it. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, not an arrogant jerk, but kind of cocky, Economopolis. Uh,
4: sorry, <laughs> Kostaki, I'm
1: sorry. Tonight... tonight Tonight, tomorrow night, 8 and 10, 30. is always really, really nice having you in studio. Appreciate your time. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me, Tom. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening. Tom Bernard Show.